Um, I bet we could go on a long time if we had to talk about different things that describe Jesus. And we need to remember that from this verse, Jesus wants us to put him as our role model. I think that would be a great one. A good way to start the year off at school when you have new relationships with your teacher and with the students maybe that you haven't had in your class before. Thank you. You might want to remember that some of those qualities will really serve you well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to bring you salvation and to be the perfect role model for us to follow so that we might live a life that is pleasing to you. Be with these children as they go back to school. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon text comes from Luke 9, 23 to 25, and Matthew 14, 22 through 33. So the Luke text. Then he said to them, all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit um, his very self. And then Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was here alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's, it's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Thank you, Kristen. Good morning. It's here. School's here. Who's excited about that? Anyone? No one's excited about that. Okay. Well, it's, it's coming. So we have been in a series here at Metamore Mennonite Church uh, called Reflections of God. And looking at the, the ways that uh, creation reflects different characteristics, characteristics of the divine. And we've been uh, using this tool called the Enneagram. And uh, so if you're new with us, that's what we're doing. Um, so we're going to be talking about type three this morning, hope and radiance. And I'm excited this morning. Um, at, originally, uh, the Potter family, we weren't going to be here. We were going to go out west uh, uh, for a vacation, but that cha- uh, plans got changed. And now, uh, so we went to Nashville area. So Nashville, Colorado. Anyway, so uh, we're back, in, which means I get to be here for my friend Charlie Dean. 
who's here with us. So I met Charlie back in August of 2004 at Northwoods Community Church. I won't go over there anymore. Uh, uh, when my time ended at Northwoods uh, in December of 07, in January, uh, the very next month, uh, a new thing was starting called Imago Day Church, Imago Day in Peoria. And uh, when my time was done at Northwoods, Charlie asked my wife and I and the family to, do we have kids yet? We didn't even have kids yet. So, <laughs> yeah, wow, family. just Miley and I <laughs> to be on the launch team al along with others. And so we began this thing called Imago Day uh, a little over 10 years ago. So uh, Charlie was the, the lead pastor there for 10 years, but back in January of this year, he uh, uh, took a job uh, with CAT, roughly. It's kind of, yeah. what do you call that? Agents? Yeah. Agency or something? Yeah. So uh, leadership development, uh, corporate training kinds of things. So he travels around and helps create culture and so on and so forth within uh, the organization. So uh, total in ministry for 19 years, originally from Pekin. Yay, Pekin. Okay, uh, but I first heard of the Enneagram through Charlie. Uh, he brought it to uh, Imago Day through a sermon, and uh, it was the first time I had heard about it about six years ago. So I'm so pleased and excited to have him here uh, with our new church family, Midnight Church, and uh, excited to, to introduce him to you. Uh, he also knows Michael Danner, uh, myself and Michael and Charlie and David. Some others, we had this, this thing called the Heretics Book Club, where we only read, like, heretics from the faith <laughs> to kind of <laughs> sharpen what we believe. Anyway, it was good. So uh, my former pastor, but more importantly, my, uh, my brother and my friend, Charlie Dean, will come share with us this morning. Let's hear it for Charlie. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I've, uh, I, you, don't, you don't know me, I don't think. Look and see if anybody knows me. I'm, I've been a big fan of your church for a long time. And so since I met Danner back in, whenever you introduced us, we became friends. And, and so I've been a big fan from afar of your church. And so it's just really nice to be here this morning. And um, I've been here on two other occasions. I came here for a concert, and I did a wedding here in this church five or six years ago. Is that about right? I d yeah, that was nice. So good to see you all this morning. Um, let's see, what else should I say? Um, I'm actually, my first church was in Pekin. Um, it, it's funny being here. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, a small Baptist church in Glassford, Illinois. Anybody know where Glassford is? Didn't think so. Oh, hey! Uh, so I grew up in a small little Baptist church in Glassford, Illinois, and you all must have some Baptist in you because you all sit back there, uh, which is just like the Baptists do as well. Uh, and that's to I'm totally comfortable with that. Uh, if I'm not up here, I'm usually somewhere. I like your seat back there, right in the corner. Perfect, kind of hidden away. That's the best seat in the house. Uh, so... Um, Let's see, so just a little bit about me. You're going to hear more about me than you probably want this morning because I'm talking, I think Eric asked me to come talk about a three because I am a three, and so I'm just going to tell you a lot about myself. Uh, but a couple things uh, you should know up front. Um, if you haven't figured it out yet, I talk really fast, and I know that, and I'm trying to slow down, but I can't help it. So sorry in advance, but this just, it, it's like you're going to get two sermons for the price of one this morning. That's what's going to happen. Um... Let's see, I have four, four boys, uh, and I wish they were with me this morning, but when you have four boys, the oldest is 17, 17, 15, 12, and 11 boys. 
So just think about the things that you think about. The questions are always, no, there's never any food in the house. They eat it all. Yes, we're really busy, and they're really loud, and they stink. All right? So that's just the reality of our life with four, four boys. And in fact, this morning, um, I was trying to get some of them to come with me. And one was going to a church with a girlfriend. One was with a friend. And uh, the two little ones had baseball tryouts. And so I come to Metamora a lot. Um, I figure it's good to come here. Um, because I don't know if you know this, coming from Dunlap, you all are the enemy. Uh, so I come because I love my enemies. So I'm here, all right? And we're going to all love each other this morning. Um, but just so you know, yesterday on the ball fields at Dunlap Valley, we beat you twice. So I'm feeling pretty good, all right? Um, so can we dive in? I can just keep doing this all day long. I can just keep chattering about nothing all morning long. Uh, but let's uh, dive in. So uh, go ahead and stay there for just a second. Um, y- you've been doing this now for nine weeks, so I assume you've seen this diagram and it has stopped freaking you out, right? There, when I first saw this diagram several years ago, I'm like, what kind of witchcraft is this now? What are we talking about? Anybody have that same first impression when you saw this symbol like, oh, this is a little weird, young pastors taking us off the rails. Um, and over time, I think you've gotten more comfortable with it and probably understand some of what's going on here. Let me say a couple things about the Enneagram in general before I talk about what it is to be a three. Um, when I first uh, was exposed to the Enneagram, it came through a book by Richard Rohr. Is it okay if I walk? Yeah, it is okay if I walk. Can I, do, can I go back to where the people are? <laughs> Hi, everyone, back here. I'm pretty comfortable coming back here. Um, when I uh, first was exposed to the Enneagram, it kind of scared me a little bit because it started pointing at things about myself that I wasn't too sure about. And I was like, oh no, people are going to know what's going on in here. And that made me a little afraid. Um, but I've come to understand that the Enneagram is just one important tool. And you can use any tool you want in your own spiritual formation. But what this tool does, if I'm freaking you out there, you just tell me to go back. Uh, What this tool does is what John Calvin said uh, in this slide, and and, um, I'll read it. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. What John Calvin is trying to say is that in whatever space you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're still sitting on the beach or you're swimming in the deep water, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you always take yourself with you. It's always with me. And so part of this journey of knowing God better is one also of knowing myself better and learning my own particular propensities not only to shine, not only to be um, fully alive in the image of God, but also my own ability to take my sin with me everywhere I go. I don't know if you've had this experience like I have, but wherever I've gone in my life, I find that I bring the same strengths wherever I am, and I also bring my own same propensities to screw things up. Anybody else with me? Is that true? Like, we find ourselves in similar patterns and similar ruts. Like, oh, I've been here before because I've made this mess before, and here I am again. 
And what the Enneagram, I think, does, and why I think it's a helpful tool, is it helps me connect the dots on that to start to recognize, oh, as I'm following after Jesus, I notice that I stumble in similar ways. And if I can start to identify those ways, I can start winning the battle, or I can start having some success. I can have some growth in my spiritual journey. And so you may, at the end of this, say, this whole Enneagram thing is weird, and I never want to hear another thing about it. That's fine, but that doesn't mean we just get to neglect the own journey of discovering who we are as we follow after Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think it's an important tool. Um, and, oh, I should have said one other thing when I started. Um, if I ask a question, you can just answer it. It's okay. I, I'm really happy with people just saying whatever they want, and we just go from there. It's fine. So that's why I think the Enneagram is important. So now uh, you have spent the last, when did you start this? May? June, June 5th. So you've spent eight weeks, nine weeks so far, an introduction week, and eight weeks going through the different types. And now we're to, this is the last one. And so you've gotten a fair amount of knowledge. Go ahead to the next slide. You've gotten a fair amount of knowledge about this. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning this morning, all right, before I jump into uh, what three, what the, the type three. And, and the warning is just simply this. Um, have you ever, like, learned something like really smart and been tempted to sit next to maybe your spouse or a good friend or your children and while you're listening there's just this involuntary thing that happens kind of in this region of your body where you do this you know like like Eric makes a really great point and you're like oh yeah that's you that's you right Anybody else ever done this or you're reading something really good in a book and so you think like I, maybe I should leave this laying open on the counter right Right? We've done these kinds of things before. The danger of any tool like this is that now it becomes a weapon, right? It becomes something that I can pigeonhole you and say, ha ha, you're a four. And by the way, everybody outside of the church goes, what are you talking about? This is weird. You just called him a number, right? But the temptation with Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or any other tool that you've used in the years is that it can become a tool by which we lump people in. And I, and I just want to exhort you this morning as you learn, as you wade into this Enneagram stuff, to just be careful with what you're learning, both in terms of being careful with yourself. Be kind to yourself, but also use it to be kind to others. Uh, there's a um, teacher, her name's Claire Lowridge, and you've done some work with Claire, right? And uh, I heard her say this a couple years ago, and this has been the thing I, I, I just want to beat the drum for over and over again. Knowledge of the Enneagram should lead us into kindness, not judgment. It should lead us into kindness, not judgment, because we see the suffering that others experience. What I hope this morning is that when we get done, and, I, and I've explained to you how threes, the lens through which threes see the world, my hope is that when you walk out of here this morning, if you are a three, you'll be able to laugh at yourself a little bit more. Like, oh, that's so cute when I do that. And secondly, that if you love a three, that you can see the suffering that they experience and have compassion and kindness towards people that suffer in ways that might be different than your own suffering. And I hope that's happened as you've gone through this series, that you've been able to look at the different types and say, like, oh, man, I get it now. Like, that person, they just see the world in a completely different way, and, and I, I understand now. 
I see why they see it that way, and it, it, it makes us more compassionate and kind to each other. So, so that's the warning I want to give before I launch in. So let's talk about the Enneagram Type 3. And the way I want to do that this morning is I know throughout this series, uh, you've been talking about, uh, at least at some points that I've read, different uh, Bible characters. And if there's one Bible character that I've always loved, and then when I studied the Enneagram, I was like, here's why I love this guy so much, it's because he's me, is the Apostle Peter. Anybody like the Apostle Peter, right? A couple of us, good, right? I love, all my life, love this guy right? Because he's amazing. And then when I started studying Enneagram, I'm like, well, that's why. I love him because he's me, and my favorite topic is me. Oh, wait, that, I'm not supposed to say that. But often that's true, right? We like people that are like us. And so um, what I want to do this morning is um, often, what, tell me, what are the words that come to mind when we hear people say the Apostle Peter? What are some of the images that comes, comes to our mind? He was a doer. That's a nice way to say it. Good. Outspoken. Impulsive. Impulsive, yes. Impetuous. Brash. Brash. I love these words. Loud. He was awesome. <laughs> That's my favorite one so far. All these things about Peter, by the way, like a lot of them, like some good ones, but also some fairly negative things like brash and outspoken and impetuous. And so what I want to do this morning is I wanted to, de to defend St. Peter for you. Can I do that just for a little while? It, so I titled this In Defense of St. Peter. I'm going to at least try in the time I have to maybe help you have kindness towards St. Peter to see him in a different light and to understand his motivations uh, and, and why he does the thing he does. Uh, the reason I love this particular exercise, by the way, I just want to say, is that when we read the Bible and when we can humanize the characters in the Bible, when I can see Peter as somebody very similar to me, I think that's when Bible reading comes alive. When I can see that, oh man, the character, this isn't just some mythological character we know as Peter, the beginner of the church, but rather, no, this is Peter, somebody who was really a follower of Jesus and deeply believed, and because of his personality, he did things that appear to us to be brash and impetuous, but it's all born out of just, this is this lover of Jesus, deep lover of Jesus, and this is how he follows after Jesus. And when I can connect to the humanity of people in the Bible, I believe that's when Bible reading comes alive. And we can see like, oh, there's me. That's how, if I would have been a first century follower of Jesus, I would have been much like Peter. Brash and impetuous and loud and all those things because that's how I still follow after Jesus. So the passage I want to take you to, if you want to turn there, is... Uh, comes to us in Matthew chapter 14, and it was read for you, so I'm not going to read it again to give ourselves some space. So this is the most famous story probably about Peter. I said I grew up in a little Baptist church. I grew up in uh, Sunday school and children's church and all those things, and this one plays really well on flannel graph, for those of you that remember the flannel graph era. A couple years ago, somebody at Imago brought us a whole set of flannel graph, and so we did a whole series with like, we did like some flannel graph for a summer series. It was a lot of fun. Um, so this is the, the most famous story. So uh, the disciples are in a boat. Uh, Jesus has sent them on ahead. There's a storm. Jesus comes walking across the water, and Peter sees Jesus and does what? Says, hey, if you're out there, I'm going to do it too, and jumps over the boat, and initially what happens? 
He's walking, he takes a couple steps, then what happens? The text tells us, what happens before he goes down? What does the text tell us? Do you remember? He sees the waves, and he gets scared, and then he starts to sink, right? So I've taught this message in my uh, 19-year pastoral career many times, from many different perspectives, all right? And, um, and so there's different sermons that people give here. Sometimes people give sermons about, look how great the faith of Peter is. Peter is the, like the first great disciple in that if he's following after Jesus and the master is walking on the water, what's the job of the disciple? Do what the master does. So Peter is like the prototype disciple. He sees what the master is doing and he says, well, if the master's doing it, I suppose that's what I'm supposed to do too, right? Isn't that a great sermon? I've also seen sermons about, this is Peter, here we go, jumping ahead of Jesus and thinking he's Jesus, and now he's out on the water, like, right? All kinds of different sermons I've seen on this. But I just want to ask you one question this morning. As we try to understand the Enneagram 3, and we try to understand uh, St. Peter, and it's this question right here. What leads someone to jump out of a perfectly safe boat? Now, I, it's funny. Um, it's funny that this is, comes, comes up because uh, this past week I was in uh, Miami for a work trip, and on, I think it was Wednesday night, uh, as a team-building event, my boss uh, rented a small boat, and we were, uh, like, puttering around uh, Miami Bay. And um, he, it was, like, dusk. The sun was setting over the city of Miami, and the boat driver pulled up, and he's like, Anybody want to swim? So literally this week, I jumped out of a boat, right? But, so what happened is he said, anybody want to swim? Well, this is a work trip. I didn't take, like, swimming trunks. It was a work thing. And so I, I did have a pair of blue jeans, and I kind of rolled up my blue jeans uh, to go on the boat, but I didn't really have anything, like, to swim in. And so literally, I was on the boat, and I had this question, like, oh, man, I want to swim in the ocean, and, you know, like, but I have jeans on. And I was like, but, but, who cares? I'm jumping in the water. It's Miami, right? And so I, I literally jumped off the boat and, and swam. When I told my wife, hey, I, we were in my Miami Bay and blah, 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 and I jumped in the water. She's like, did you take swim trunks? And I said, uh, no. I, I just jumped in in my jeans. And she's like, why would you do that? I'm like, because they're just jeans. Who cares? I got to swim in the ocean at dusk with Miami in the background. It was pretty amazing. And she's like, I, I would never do that. Like, that's my whole point, right? Is that when we start talking about Enneagram, okay, what we're talking about is completely different lenses of seeing the world. My wife is a type six on the Enneagram. If you've been around all summer, it's what we call sometimes the fearful type. And I know my wife is thinking, but what if I uh, wear wet jeans and then I can't get back to the hotel and then I'm stuck in wet jeans for the next three days and, you know, dusk is when the sharks come out and who knows what's in the water. You can't see it because it's dark. And, and I, I uh, also told her that not only did I just jump out of the water, but I climbed up on the roof of the boat and jumped off the roof of the boat and I couldn't just jump in. I had to do a flip when I jumped in, you know, so like all that. And she's like, well, that just, I would, I would never make that choice. And my point in saying, telling you that is that when it comes to this and when it comes to us understanding the Enneagram, what we're trying to understand uh, using this tool is we understand ourselves so that we can understand God is to understand that the things that we do and the choices that we make and the way that we see the world often comes because we're created the way that we were. And that my wife would never, ever make the choice to jump off of a boat in blue jeans at dusk in Miami Bay 
and I would never not make the choice to jump in the water. <laughs> like, who cares? I could be in a park. Like, you wouldn't be in a park in Miami, but it wouldn't matter to me. I would just do it because the experience is there. And both of us, it's just the lens through which we see the world. And my question this morning here is about what kind of lens does St. Peter wear that leads him almost inevitably because you know why it's inevitable? It's because not only do we see it in the boat, but I'm going to point you in a couple minutes uh, to Luke chapter 22. It's pretty regular in the life of St. Peter, right? That he does this same thing over and over again. It's not as if we have this one story about this one time Peter kind of went off half-baked. It's kind of the regular. It's kind of like, this is just who Peter is. And so we can say about him, yeah, he's brash and he's impetuous and he does all these things because we have enough stories about him that we can recognize, no, this is something about his character. This is something about deeply within him who he is as a person. A couple years ago at our church, we did a series where we actually uh, spent one series, uh, eight, ten weeks, doing the life of St. Peter where we studied every story in Scripture that mentioned Peter. And then flipped it, and the second half of the series, we did the writings of St. Peter, where we're, then we went through First and Second Peter, and kind of studied, like, and then asked ourselves often, like, how did his life, how did these stories shape him into the man that wrote those books later on, and how did those experiences play into the writings? And it was super interesting to see how this personality, how this kind of person writes the kinds of things he does. And so I want to introduce you to uh, the Enneagram Type 3. And the first thing we need to understand about the Enneagram Type 3 is that they come to us out of what we call the heart triad. Now, are you familiar with the triads in the Enneagram? We break down, just for those of you that aren't, we break down the Enneagram. There's nine types, and we break them down into three groups of three. And the way that I uh, remember them uh, well, let me explain them, and I'll tell you how I remember them. The three are the heart triad, or the feelings, like people that process the world through their feelings, versus the, 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 the brain triad, where people, the mind, where people process the world through their mind, and then what we call the gut triad, people who process the world just through their gut feelings. Now, if you're brand new to Enneagram, this is a great way to start, to just ask yourself a simple question. When I'm making a big decision in my life, how am I processing that decision? Some of us in this room just have gut instincts. Yeah, I bought that house because I had a gut instinct. I went into that business because I just had a gut instinct that would work. I'm just curious. Anybody kind of make decisions that way? A, a, a handful, a small number of us? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the thinking triad, the mind triad. I make decisions. When decisions come up, I make decisions because I rationalize, I think, I study. How many of you are kind of in that space? A few of you recognize that's your way of being. And then this triad is much more about feelings. Uh, and, and in this triad, where the three is right in the center of it, I pro and I'll tell you mine, I process the world through how I feel primarily relationally about how people are feeling about me. I'm always thinking about what will people think, how will this like, make harmony, like what's going on there. How many of you process the world through how you feel about it? Like I just have a feeling... But it's about relationships and feelings, not about like a, a feeling inside your body. Okay, so uh, kind of mixed among us. So in this heart triad, I, what I often say is when I talk about the triads, that each triad has a very particular question. In, in, the, in the thinking triad, the question is often, how do I make sense of the world? So my wife is right in the middle of that triad and the thinking triad, and she's always thinking, she journals, she's trying to make sense of the world in her head. 
Um, in the gut triad, the question often is, how do I control the world? How do I make the world the way I want it to be? And, and I'm sure you talked about that as your own, own experience. Se uh, sevens, eights, nine, or eights, nines, and ones are all saying, like, how do I control the world and make it the way I want it to be? And in the heart triad, the question often, I think, is how do I get you to like me? Now, the word like might throw you. How do I get you to admire, like, whatever, be connected to me? But in this triad, the question is, how do I get you to connect with me? And so, when we break down into that triad, twos answer it by saying, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do everything I can for you. Do you need something? Do you need coffee? Even if you don't need coffee, I'm bringing you coffee because you need coffee. You clearly look like you need... I watched a woman in our church, and I love this. She uh, was sitting, we were sitting in a circle, and a woman came in and sat down, and she said, can I get you a plate of food? And the woman said, no, I don't want anything to eat. And then she said, no, you need a plate of food. And got up and made her a plate of food and brought it to her, and the other woman never ate it. Because she was answering this question, how do I get you to like me? And she answered it, and two don't, an this is how threes answer, not twos, but twos answer it by, I get you to like me by, like, by serving you, and you don't have a plate of food, so I can get a little win here, so I'm just going to do that for you. Fours, on the other side of threes, answer this question by saying, I'll create something. I'll create poetry, music, something. I'll create, I'll be vulnerable with myself and put it out there in the world, and I'll know you like me when you like my, my creation. Uh, we'll just use music or poetry or art or writing. You, I, know, I know you like me when you like what I create, the beauty I create in the world. Threes, uh, Peter, me, we answer that right, right here. By impressing you with my accomplishments. If you're a three, like, you're really geared towards accomplishments. If you met me uh, just on the street or we met at a coffee shop and we sat and talked, it wouldn't take me long to tell you my accomplishments. Because, and, it, and it's not necessarily about bragging, it's more about, it's as a three, I will define myself by what we've accomplished, by what I've accomplished. So if we were to sit and meet for coffee, it wouldn't take me very long before I would mention, I've, you know, I've run two marathons, right? Under four hours each time. Actually under three hours and 45 minutes both times. Like, that's not a problem. I've built two houses myself. Uh, my dad and I built a house, and then 10 years later, we built another house. Um, I started a church. Um, I, uh, next Saturday, I'm thinking about, I, I'll see how the weather is, but I'm thinking about doing a 100-mile bike ride, because what else would you do on a Saturday um, after you get your chores done? You know, that's just what you do. You go out on your bike, and you, you pound out 50, 60 miles. That's, that's what happens. And uh, trust me as a three, in that moment, I'm not bragging to you like, I think I'm better than you. I just define myself by my accomplishments. And I hope, and I hope that you'll admire me, like me, connect with me because of what I accomplish. So that's how the threes come to us out of that triad, is that they're trying to connect to us in that way. So what I, what, what I want to do for just a minute then is give you a picture of what threes look like. Go ahead to this slide. And I know it's, uh, oh, this just makes me laugh because this is how threes think all the time. Uh, if you can't read it from the back, it says, don't invite me to your wedding. I will look better than you and it will be embarrassing for us both. Uh, often the way th threes just kind of act because they're so driven towards ambition and all kinds of things that I'm going to show you right now on the next slide. <laughs> so this is going to be small for those of you way back here. I know, it's a little small. But I'm going to read it to you. So five things uh, that we want to understand as we think about threes, and I'll just work through them 
fairly quickly here. The first is that threes are super ambitious. Now think about this when you think about Peter. You don't know me that well, but think about Peter. Do we recognize Peter in scriptures as being fairly ambitious? Yeah, and I'm going to talk about another story right at the end where you'll see that play out. Um, they have the will and the energy to strive to be the best at whatever they take on. They believe in their ability to succeed. You know who the biggest fan of a three is? Themselves, right? Like, I believe in me. I believe that I can do it. Whatever it is, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. I, all you got to do is, like, give it to me because I believe that I can do it. I, I believe that I can train, I can work, give me a job, new job, that's fine, I'll figure it out. Secondly, uh, threes are really efficient. I, I'm curious, just a little quiz for threes. Everybody else, when you have a list of errands to run, does everybody else arrange those errands according to the fewest number of left-hand turns you'll have to make? Anybody else? Oh, so like three of us in the room, right? I organize my to-do list. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I organize my to-do list by right-hand turns because I don't want to waste my time sitting in a left-hand arrow because I'm busy, I have stuff to do, and so I'll organize my trip through town. I play a game often when I pull into the grocery store. No, you all don't know this. If we're in the grocery store together, you don't know that secretly we're racing. <laughs> and I win all the time. <laughs> I often walk out of the grocery store and think to myself, nobody could have done that trip to the grocery store faster than what I just did. I walked straight to it. I picked it off the shelf. I didn't even shop. I didn't even compare prices. I just picked it up. I went straight. I found the shortest line. I got there. I got back out in my car. I win all the time. I, I, I'm always playing. I'm not even kidding, by the way. This is really what's happening in my head as I'm going through the grocery store. So we're super efficient. Adaptable. Along with being able to adapt to achieve their goals, threes are able to adjust to different situations, people, or environments skillfully. Um, I don't care about a lot of things. Like, if I'm in a meeting and I have an idea and somebody can show me why their idea is better, you know how hard it is for me to switch ideas? It, it's not. I'll switch ideas like this. I'm just going to tell you all right now, um, you would never hire me as your pastor, right? I, I don't make a great pastor because you know what my favorite thing to do is? Now, understand, my first church was 150 years old. Abraham Lincoln gave to our very first building campaign, the church in Pekin I was at, right? Do you know what my favorite thing is? Five-letter word? Six-word? Six-letter word? You said it. Change. Change is absolutely my favorite word. You know what the least favorite word? I don't know about this church. I'm sure it's not true. You know what the least favorite word of a 150-year-old Baptist church is? Oh, they hate that word. Like, the favorite thing in a 150-year-old Baptist church that I grew up in, it, the favorite thing to say on a board when somebody has a new idea is what? No, not even no. It's, we don't, we've never done that before. Right? And it, I'm not going to ask you to confess here, but anybody know of churches where you've heard that before? Does that ever get said in churches? So I'm like an old church's worst nightmare, right, as a three. Uh, because threes don't care about how you did it 100 years ago, 50 years ago, or frankly, they don't care how you did it last week. If it doesn't work, throw it out. Let's do something different. They're super adaptable. Even if it's their own idea, I'll chuck my own idea, like right now. Like, here's my idea. It's not working. Let's bail, and let's do something else. That's fine with me. I don't care, as long as we can succeed. They're super driven. I don't know if you've picked this up yet just by, you know, I'm, I'm 20 minutes in. I'm a little driven, right? I just, 
wildly driven. So high energy, enthusiasm for projects. People say to me all the time, I don't know how you do the job that you do, and you have four boys that you're parenting, and you have time to ride your bike, and you have time to cook, because I love to cook, and you have time to read books, and you have time, like, I'm like, well, that is just why would you stop moving? Like, I don't understand why people stop going. Um, and then finally, results-oriented. Setting goals and applying themselves to achieve these are as natural to threes as breathing. So when my boss says to me, hey, I need you to set some goals, do you know what I say? I already did that a long time ago. Before I showed up for work, I already had goals written. I wrote goals for the day in the shower as I was showering because I was just like on it, right? Are you getting a picture of what threes are like? Now, look, can we just pause right here and go back to Peter? Is this resonating with St. Peter? Do you think if we were guessing as to a type that St. Peter was, that these things apply to St. Peter at his very best? Now flip the slide. At their worst. Think about those five things. Because as I was re rehearsing some of these, I know some of you already were like, oh, wow, I think this guy up there is crazy. And you know what? You're right. What Enneagram says is we're all just crazy in our own ways. This is my particular one. So what happens is a three that's really unhealthy in a bad space in their life, threes become that ambition that's so good that makes the world a better place. Where does that ambition get focused? Where? On yourself. So a, an unhealthy three, when I'm in my good space and I'm ambitious, I'm doing things for the world, I'm doing things for my family, I'm, making, you know, I'm putting my gifts to use. If I'm in an unhealthy place, a three's ambition becomes solely self-focused. How do I build my kingdom? Isn't there a great story about Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan, because Peter's building his own kingdom and his own ambition, right? And we see Peter tripping on this all through scriptures. That ambition that's so amazing that I'm going to talk about in the end, he trips over in various other places. Uh, efficient. In the, in the service of being efficient, they use people and push them out of the way. Adaptable so that I have no loyalty to anything. Uh, this is one of my challenges, right? You heard me say I love change. So I'm, I'm really, I, I wasn't kidding. I, it's, it's really hard for me to, to stay loyal to something because if I sniff a failure coming, I'm ready to move on. And sometimes the very thing that you need to do is to do the thing that's hard, even if it's not going to get you the win. Driven. I know a three. I I'm, know a very specific pastor friend who's a three who burned himself out of ministry because he could never stop going. Never took the time to rest and replenish himself. Said yes to everything because he was so driven. And every time I'd see him over a several year span, every time he just looked a little and little more beat down, a little more beat down, a little more beat down until he just burned himself out of ministry. And then finally, results-oriented, uh, in, in an unhealthy spot, threes at their worst, it becomes about winning at all costs. When I was a kid and our family would play family board games, um, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed about this as an adult. Uh, when we play family board games, uh, I had this tendency to cry when I didn't win. And I'm not kidding, as a kid, if I wasn't winning, I would do things like this and just upend the whole board if I couldn't win, right? I'm trying not to do that anymore, right? As an adult, it's not so good, right? It, it's not a good example to set for my young men in my house, but I'm trying really hard. Oh, I'm running out of time. Let me go through a couple other things real quick, and then I'll, I'll wrap us up and take us back to St. Peter. Here's a list of people who are probably threes. It's not important. Let's just go to the next one. Um, so what leads someone to jump out of a perfectly safe boat? <coughs> they're ambitious, and they're driven, and they're passionate, and that's how they follow after Jesus. 
I, I look at Peter there, and I look at him in the same way I do. Like, all that good stuff in him, and all of us, every single one of us in this room, when you put a list of those things up on the board, whatever your type is, whatever your personality is, there's a mixture, right? And even day to day, there's a mixture. And I see in Peter, when he jumps over the edge of the boat, a mixture of ambition for following after Jesus and also at the same time, an ambition to make himself the number one disciple. I see both at the same time. And in fact, there's this other great story. I think it's the next slide out of Luke 22. And I'm just going to summarize very quickly. In Luke 22, Jesus tells the disciples that one of you is going to betray me. And the way Luke tells the story is it says in the message that I love, it says, um, a very short time later, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. Which is awesome, right? Jesus says one of you is going to betray me. And here's how I picture the conversation going. It's not me, it's gotta be you, or you. But it's not me, because I'm, I'm better than you. No, 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 I'm better than you. No, no, I'm greater than you. I'm gonna sit on a greater throne. This is what happens with Jesus sitting there. They're embarrassing themselves in front of Jesus. So Jesus then jumps in and says, no, 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 in my kingdom, it's about being a servant. That's what Jesus says. And then he says, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, uh, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And Peter, in that moment, is like, who, me? No way. And Jesus says, but I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you that when you fall, you will use your strength. You will use what you've learned to come back and encourage the brethren. That you'll use your failure. You'll use what you did wrong to come back and betray, to help the brethren. And then he tells Peter, Peter, I, I'm telling you, tonight, before it's over, three times you'll deny me. And Peter says in that moment, do you remember that? Like, no way. No way would I do that. And then the story tragically goes on, and we find out that surely by the end of the night, Peter's betrayed Jesus three times and leaves and realizes what he's done, and it says then he leaves the garden, and he, or leaves the courtyard, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You see all these same things in effect, his ambition and his drive and all of that in effect. So two, two thoughts here is one about the challenges of being a three. If you are a three, I'm not going to ask for any confessions, but if you are a three, I'll tell you three things I've had to learn in my own spiritual journey. First of all, is that I need to focus on being good, not just looking good. I need to focus on being good and not just looking good. Us threes have this obsession with looking good and winning. And so the challenge for Peter, if I was Peter's spiritual mentor, is, hey, Peter, before you jump out of the boat, let's make sure that you actually can walk on the water. Let's make sure we actually have, we've developed ourselves and we've grown enough that we can actually follow the master in this particular way before you just impulsively think you can do it and jump overboard. Uh, the second thought um, is to embrace failure to embrace your mistakes, to go after the things and learn from them and grow from them. Three, us threes want to run from our mistakes and Peter running from the garden and weeping bitterly is perfect, right? Just, oh, I failed and I need to run away from it. And later we get to see the reconciliation of Jesus, which would be another sermon altogether. Finally, um, this, this is the hardest thing for a three to understand in their own spiritual journey, in their own spiritual formation. Here's how I look at myself these days. I'm a dad, four boys, right? Um, my youngest is adorable. He gets on the baseball field and he digs into the batter's box. <clears throat> and um, before he steps his front foot in, he looks and finds me wherever I am. Because he's looking for my approval. Because I'm pretty sure he's a little three. And he steps in and he takes a ball. And you know what happens the very next thing he does? He looks for me again. 
everything he does on the field, he's constantly, and I've had to stop saying to him, like, buddy, you don't have to keep looking for me. It's okay. I'm there. But I know what he's doing as a young little three is he's constantly trying to win my affection. And what he, he needs to understand, and as his dad, my job is to help him understand, is you don't have to win my affection. You already have it. And in my, in my, the toughest part of my own spiritual journey is recognizing that I already have the affection of my heavenly father. And I don't need to hustle for it. I don't need to do stuff to earn it. I already have it. And I know some of you are sitting there. I had a friend say like once, like, can't you just recognize your love by God? And I said back, like, I wish it were that easy for me. It's just not that easy. Because I define myself by what I do to myself. And so I'm constantly hustling for God's affection too. And so that's the journey. If you love a three, here's what you can do to love a three. Celebrate with them. Celebrate their accomplishments with them. They do a lot. So just celebrate with them. Join in. You know, I love, I love pats on the head, the attaboys. And what often looks like, it looks like I'm self-confident and I'm like, why does he need an attaboy? He's doing everything. Because I'm doing it all so I can get the attaboy. That's why I'm doing it. So if you love a three, celebrate them a little bit. Don't embarrass them in public. Be careful. Their egos are fragile because they're constantly worried about what they look like. And then finally, this last one connects back to the last slide. Tell me you love me, especially when I fail especially when I'm doing nothing, let me know that I'm loved there too. Last thought, and then I'll go. Sorry, Eric. Um, <laughs> I talk a lot and I go long. It's a bad combo. Uh, the last thought is this. What's amazing to me about the life of St. Peter is the guy that jumped over the boat, the guy that claimed he would never deny Jesus, and then, according to the one gospel, looked Jesus in the eye, looked across the courtyard, looked straight at Jesus, and said with cursing, I don't know that bleep, bleep, bleeping man. That guy becomes the leader of the early church. It's that guy who stands up on the day of Pentecost and gives the first Christian sermon in history. It's that guy who goes to jail. It's that guy who leads the Jerusalem church. Until Paul comes on the scene a couple decades later, 10, 15 years later, it's Peter that leads the early church. When Peter learns the lesson about his own ambition and drive and, and efficiency and all that, when he learns those lessons, he becomes a powerful reflection of God's character. And, and that's what the Enneagram's about. The Enneagram really is about we were all created in the image of God in the Imago Dei. And, and because of sin, because of our own brokenness, because of our own humanity, I think that what the Enneagram does well is it says, I get to reflect a sliver of who God is. And the sliver I get to reflect is that God is efficient and God gets things done and God, you know, is always working. There's always more to grow. I, I get to reflect that part of God. Some of you get to reflect the peacemaking part of God and the kindness and the creativity. We all get this sliver. But the sliver that threes get to reflect so that one person I heard describe threes said that threes are almost the embodiment of the ideal human being because we see them constantly striving and growing and taking on challenges that the rest of us are afraid. I was talking to my wife this morning.